0: Snuff Production. Market. The S&P. The ISX. stocks. This is Motley Fool Money.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is at the beginning of its end or the end of its beginning or just halfway through a very long rant. Of course, that can only mean one thing. It means that I must be Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool and he must be Mr. Andrew Page Esquire, the entrepreneur, the maven, the mogul, the... Man behind the glass, the power behind the throne, the wizard behind the curtain of strawman.com. How are you? Very good. So I thought you were going to leave off the Esquire for a second there. I thought, (laughs) hang on, contractually obliged. Uh, Correct. That's definitely in the contract, that I'm mentioning strawman.com. You really should have put in the contract. What strawman com is because if I if you'd done that I might have been able to read that rather than have to ask you every time because it's oh, well, frankly I you know I, it's it's getting a bit embarrassing mate I, I can't remember a single time you actually told our listeners what it is I ask every week and every week you mm-hmm. I can't recall you ever actually filling in the gap so maybe, maybe maybe next time we do a contract you put it in but in the meantime
0: can you once once and for all tell our listeners what dot s- is set the record straight yeah sure would we're, you would you yeah I'm happy to we're a private online investment club there you go. Uh, yeah, check it out, strawman.com. That could be a thing. That could be a thing. Mm-hmm. Be a thing. <laughs>
1: Mate, um, I, other, other than referring to the rants, can I tell you, uh, I, I know you think that I only read the questions our listeners send in that say nice things about us or mention the pod machine or the rants or something else. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't know when a podcast listenership becomes officially a cult. Uh, or informally a cult, even. Uh, but uh, I have had a pod machine reference. I think on every single question I've received this week. Not, not just. I'm not just saying the ones we're going to read out on Sunday. I'm saying literally. I think every single one I've received this week has had a pod machine reference. So I, I, all I'm saying is, at some point, we're having a very,
0: very, very bad effect on a whole lot of people. It's, uh, it's officially coined. I think you'll you'll Must be, be. Um, you'll be remembered throughout history <laughs> for the person who who coined the
1: term <laughs> pod machine. Schrodinger's cat. Uh, yeah. Godwin's Law and uh, Phillips's Pod Machine. There you go. It does. I'm, I'm happy to Mate, back uh, it.
0: <laughs> good man. How's your week been? Yeah, it's been pretty good. I mean, it feels like we are getting towards the end. Well, we are getting towards the end of the year, but that, that time of the year when things <laughs> yeah. start to accelerate a little bit, just in terms of the pace of time. But I also oh, get, yeah. I don't know if, I was going to ask you this, actually, I get the sense that Maybe this is more the investor relations people than the companies themselves, but it's sort of like, oh, Christmas is coming up. We want to be done. Let's get all these, uh, you know, releases and announcements out of the way so we can slack off for the final month. And so it feels like it's like the last little plunge before we (laughs) we really go dry on the corporate news, uh, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing
1: i um I think you're right there is it's people are kind of talking about it on social media these days, but it's that kind of like done by Christmas thing as if Christmas is some arbitrary mm. deadline that if you don't make somehow you're going to be you know what I mean? it's got to get it done by Christmas like why why not the fifth of January or December yeah. four or you know it's always okay you're done by christmas, you're right you're absolutely right. That's what people do there's, there's something humans are funny characters uh, we're just you know we, we like. We like round numbers. We like beginnings and ends. We like to be able to kind of, you know, sign off or cut off on something and say, that thing got done by then. I mean, it's, it's partly we do it deliberately to try and help ourselves get some things done. But equally, there's something just very, very, I mean, it's very human and very normal. Also, objectively,
0: really strange about yeah. the whole one trip around the sun thing. It's just, it's a very, very weird thing. It is. I mean, I get it, though. I want all my stuff, as much as can be done, done, mainly mm. so I don't have the guilt of of something hanging <laughs> over my head when I yeah. when I want to be relaxing. Yeah. Oh, that guy, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, way back in the day, when I was in the corporate mm-hmm. land, I was there was always um, when everyone wanted to take time off over Christmas, but you know, someone had to sort of man man the office. Mm. So I was always the guy who would put my hand up for that because yeah. so I figured this is, this is probably too telling, <laughs> but I figured <laughs> it was kind of cruisy because no one's around the office. <laughs> You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to do much and then you get to take your leave when, all, when everyone has to do work. So it's sort of like, mm. I, I, you know, I like to think I was playing 4D chess and, and really everyone was thinking, thank God he's happy to do it because now I get to spend time <laughs> <laughs> with family and friends over Christmas. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I uh, thought I was on something. No, I, I, I used to.
1: When I was, when I was young and, and far less committed to productivity than I am today. Uh, because boss, if you're listening, I am the most productive person you've ever met. I deserve a pay rise. Uh, but but when I when I wasn't that committed, mate, I I used, to, I used to like working over over summer. I'm also a nerd. I know that'll surprise our listeners, but but just uh, revelation time. Uh, the the Sydney Morning Herald. I, I don't know if they still do it. Well, back in the day when it was actually a physical paper and a broadsheet paper rather than the you know yeah. few pages of a tabloid you get these days, they used to do this summer reads section. Do you remember that?
0: No. So between Christmas
1: and New Year, they'd have. It was kind of like like just little mini fiction kind of, you know, be three or four or five pages or whatever. It was just like they had this summer reading section. And so I vividly remember, you know, I, I won't name the company because I don't want them to sue me for not doing any work, but uh, it was great. You, you'd, you'd wander into the office. You didn't have to get there particularly early. It was never super late, but, you know, everyone was pretty cruisy. <laughs> and you'd sit down and you'd say, well, I might just uh, – I'll sit down and read through the, this, the SMH summer reading. <laughs> this was, was my really, thinking. Yep, it was a was lovely time of year. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm saying, yeah, we're um, – Yes, we probably shouldn't do a. It, it, no surprise, our podcast is ill-disciplined and goes for more
0: than an hour sometimes, or actually most of the time. Uh, I was just going to say very quickly. Just, just, just very quickly, it that, that was obviously the editor at the SMH also thinking. I don't have everyone's <laughs> away. Let's just let's just put some short stories in there to like just a bit of filler over the break. <laughs> Pock it up because we're, we're on a skeleton for crew. The Harvey
1: Norman ads, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, very crazy. Anyway, all of that said, mate, how's that for a tangent? A few minutes in already. Um, yep. I mentioned the end of the beginning and the beginning of the end. This was a... Well, so, so here's the thing. With a couple of days' worth of hindsight, uh, this week's been momentous. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it may be entirely opposite and a couple of years' time, no one will remember it, let alone care. But um, the US CPI numbers came out. Mm. 3.2% was the annual inflation as at, I think, end of October, I think I'm right in saying. And that was dramatically below what most people had expected. Hmm. And we saw some really big shifts. The US market was up 2% on that news. The ASX gained about 1.5%. The Aussie dollar jumped 2.1% in 24 hours, largely on the back of the idea that, that hey, if and we'll, we'll sort of tease this out for those who don't necessarily follow it, um, Higher, sorry, lower inflation probably means, in the market's view, I'm not going to predict here Mm -hmm. or or say these things are cast iron rules, but the markets, here's here's the way the thinking goes. Inflation's low. Cool. That means maybe no more Fed rate rises. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. That means debt is cheaper and assets aren't going to be discounted as heavily as they might have been. Cool. Up goes share prices. That also means that people who are investing in U.S. dollars rather than Australian dollars, pounds or whatever, because they might get a higher yield at some point in the future, Mm -hmm. decide actually that's not necessary anymore. So they sell the U.S. dollars and buy back into Australian dollars. Cool, in theory. Mm -hmm. And so in the space of 24 hours, we saw exactly that. We saw the U.S. market jump. We saw the Australian market jump. And we saw the Aussie dollar jump, or more uh, accurately in this case, the U.S. dollar fall against all the major currencies by a similar-ish kind of amount, about that you know, about that 2%. Um, all in, you know, uh, on the back of one, one CPI number. And by the way, no comment from the US Fed on what they might or might not do. Yeah. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always nervous when I feel like all the news is priced in. Yes. You know, when everyone says, well, obviously this is going to happen. It's like, well, if everyone's thinking that, then th- even if it's a very small chance of it not happening, there's no upside here. There's only downside, right? When, you, when you've baked in all the good news, the chance of bad news is the only thing left that can be different to what you're actually expecting. And yep. yet, and yet... That's kind of what happened. So yep. I, I guess my, my – uh, and we'll get to the Australian implication in terms of inflation in a second and at, at an economic level, but just stick with the U.S. and markets for now for me. Mm. Um, what did you make? I, I mean, for, for, a, for an inflation rate that's in theory got, was going to be higher for longer – Yes, the U.S. want two percent. We have a two to three percent band. They want two, so they're still one point two percent away from that. And percentage-wise, that's a big gap. And it's always hardest to get the last little bits of inflation out of the system. So uh, no one's declared a victory yet. But I don't know. I just thought overall uh, a pretty stunning number if if it is
0: real and can be sustained. Yeah, and I guess the encouraging thing is is that that seems to be moderating without a massive recession i mean there's one way to kill mm. inflation which is just for us to all have a crippling re- recession yeah, yeah that's right yeah like that's going to stop everyone spending D- destroy that's destroy fix- the yeah destroy you the know? economy. funnily enough prices don't rise anymore yeah that's right and this is why there's been all this talk of the quote-unquote soft landing versus hard landing mm. <laughs> pardon me a soft landing being more something that's like well we managed to sort of pull things some of that exuberance that was driving prices higher in theory, at least yeah. um, we, we, you know, we, 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 can pull, pull that back a little bit, but without like seeing, seeing a massive spike in, in unemployment. Um. So that's, I think that is the interesting thing. I'm mindful that I, I don't want to, I don't want to rain on the parade because it's, it's good news. Um, but one swallow does not a summer make you, you see this all the time with economic data. If you, you look, especially when you look at the raw data, it tends to, move all over the place so this was sort of a move in one direction that was great um and let's hope that it sort of lasts but it's it's interesting isn't it because the the narrative at least from some quarters has been not just that they're done with raising that will that they will commence cutting Mm. And I thought that was an odd thing, <laughs> that's right. because it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, let's not get carried away here. And also, mm. what th- things feel really high on the interest rate front because we were at zero for so long. Mm. Mm. But but on a longer time frame, we're still below yeah, the right. long long term average. So you would say that if we do in the US, and I say we sort of collectively the major economies of the world somehow managed to a, a avoid a nasty recession and um, prices moderate, the argument is probably there to just keep rates where they are, not cut them. I mean, cutting them should be done in, in an effort as, like, oh, things are bad. Now we need to right, stimulate. Exactly. We've been restrictive. Now we need to sort of stimulate. If you want to sort of like fire all your bullets now I, I yeah. feel as like well what do, you, what do you do when there is a recession oh, kind of which thing? takes us
1: back to pretty much where we were pre-COVID when rates were already too low and then we had to yep. get to zero and around and around we go it's um yeah. I, I think it's a really really good point mate it's I think we've lost I'm, I'm not a cynic as, as our listeners I'm not a pessimist but I think we've lost we've lost a sense of neutral um, yeah. we, I've ranted a lot about fiscal policy and you've talked a bit about monetary policy we've both done both obviously mm. but mm. I think in both cases that idea of actually what's neutral, what's normal, what's, you know, and I made the point about the, the, both interest rates and markets. We're going back to an old normal. We're not going from a, an old normal to a new normal. You know, the, the last 20 years with the aberration, whether it's interest rates, whether it's whatever else, you know, that, that idea of we're going back to something more normal. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think that you're absolutely right. The, the idea that we oscillate around neutral again uh, you, you have you have issues with central banks but uh, let, let's let's keep it in in, in fiscal terms at least sure. anyway just cuz sure. I think we're both roughly on the line there or maybe not actually but um i either way if you're going to use these policies effectively countercyclically that's what they're for you t- you p- take a neutral point and you say when yep. things are too hot you contract by removing stimulus or increasing interest rates when things yep. are tough you you know so when, yeah when things are, when things are tough you you stimulate when things are too good you, you contract or, yep. or depress or remove demand uh, by oscillating around a neutral level of, in theory, fiscal policy and monetary policy, I think the last twenty years shows we've lost sight of both of those. I mean we are yeah. I've said before, mate, I don't want to hijack your point, but we, we should be, we should have a hundred billion dollar budget surplus right now. Yes. Objectively, not yes. only should the budget be neutral, it should be dramatically positive because Unemployment benefits are through the floor. Income mm. tax receipts are through the roof. Corporate mm. tax receipts are through the roof. Um, you know, let alone the if, if not price, a surplus now, then when, right? And if not a massive surplus, like this, this is the top of the market. If you look backwards, I'm not saying people are doing it easy. I'm not saying the economy is in necessarily great shape objectively across all different measures. But in the context of spend and you know, tax and spend, mm. this is this is literally. As good as things, I won't say as good as it gets, because of course it could get be better for a couple of years or whatever. This is the top of the cycle. This is, mm. you know, the, the tide is all the way in and all those things that matter to deliver mm. a really, really strong surplus. Yep. And I just, I, I find it, you know, frustrating that we have forgotten and maybe deliberately forgotten in the case of politicians or deliberately pretended we've forgotten what neutral looks like and, and what should happen at this point of an economic cycle.
0: Yep. Yep. No, it's... it's um it's something that's not going to really matter until it does matter a lot type type thing yeah. and and i think that's that's kind of the problem right it's it's mm-hmm. there's no burning platform here so it's like oh, i guess we can just continue ahead debt to gdp is relatively low by western standards mm-hmm. yes there's a bit of a structural deficit there but you know it's just it's it's a problem it's just not Seen as an urgent problem, and it's something where mm. that it's it's another one of these cans that we can kick <laughs> down the road That's for right. political convenience more than anything uh-huh. else. Uh-huh. I think it's interesting to look at the US actually because if you just extend the trends, i.e., that, mm. that, that of, of a structural deficit, and, and you get, mm. I don't know if you saw this, this was this wasn't widely reported, but the Treasury has bond auctions; they auction off their uh, Treasury bills, mm. so the. Treasury is a wing of the of the of the U.S. government. It looks after um, the treasury. You know how much treasure have we got, <laughs> and that we we need is where all the money goes into and where all the checks, money comes checks. out of. And they don't have enough money coming in, so that like that there, it's actually as as bad as it's been in a long time. I think it's seven eight percent of GDP in in a, in a structural deficit mm. there. So they they have to borrow to, to make up the difference. They've been doing that forever. And again, it's not a problem until it is. And what happened was that there was, it was a fairly calamitous auction in the sense that they just couldn't sell all of the, all the bonds that they wanted to. The market demand wasn't there. Historically, it's been picked up a lot by foreign entities and they have been wind, like foreign central banks like Japan, Bank of China, et cetera, have been, have been big buyers of US, US uh, treasuries. But they, they have been decreasing their holdings. You have these dealer banks that sort of the treasury sells to, and then they they sort of take up the allocation and hope to sell it onto the market. There just wasn't enough demand there. And as a result of that, what happens when you can't get enough demand for your bond? Well, you have to increase interest rates to say, hey, this is compelling enough to do it. Now, again, I, I don't, I don't want to over egg this particular pudding, but this th- these kinds of events as... The wonks in that area will tell you are fairly rare where they, Treasury has any trouble sort of selling it, its, it's um, paper, mm. as they call it. Mm. Mm. And I thought, it, for me, it's a good reminder, I think, of the bigger forces at play, which is that at the end of the day, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, the RBA has an incredible amount of power. But mm. at the, it is the market, the bond market writ large, that is the boss. Right. Like that, that is you, you put it this way. If you say I'm the U S government, we don't have enough money to fund ourselves. It's okay. We'll just, we'll, we'll chuck it on, on the, on the country credit card. That's cool. <laughs> Everyone's sort of cool with that. And then you get to a point where it's sort of like, Oh, we're actually having trouble getting the same kind of terms of finance that we <laughs> had before. The market yes. doesn't want it. Where does the money come from in that instance? Cause I mean, the, don't forget the bills don't go away. The parks, Service still needs to maintain Yellowstone, right? Like uh, the post office, the Federal Reserve employees need need to be paid, et cetera, et cetera. So the this is when the Federal Reserve comes in and, and makes up the difference, so literally by by creating money. And so you get mm-hmm. to a situation here where it's either like you have forced whatever the whatever the official interest rate is, the market will either enforce a higher rate, or the Fed will pump more money directly into the economy. It's a little bit right. different from 2008 where they did all these what they just you know, QE and essentially just asset swaps but never really they just stayed in they took bonds they gave people federal reserve uh, federal reserves but they stay kind of in the financial system when when it goes to treasury that goes into the real economy. That goes into people's pay mm-hmm. packets and the rest of it. So it's a re- mm-hmm insanely complex and I don't every time I feel as I've got a hand it's like soap you know the tighter you grip the more it slips, <laughs> yeah. slips away from you but yeah. it feels it feels as though that it's sort of like it, it, at some point it could be another 10 or 20 years away before something hits ahead. but this is this mm. is back to your point why we need to be having these conversations now before it becomes urgent before we find ourselves in a situation where we've got no other choice other than to print money, or other than to see radically higher funding costs because that's what the market needs to 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 be convinced to take take the paper. They'll all be made whole in in, in nominal terms. Don't get me wrong, but that the the bond market is not stupid, right? They're looking at it, going, "Well, wait a sec, this is just maths, right? Like if you." I- I I might be made good in nominal terms, but there's like the the level of what they call M2 money in the system is going to go up radically and therefore I'll probably eat it in in terms of inflation. So it's just, there are big forces at play, I guess is what I'm I'm saying. And I feel as though that's why we need these adult conversations to get our house in order. Now when things are, let's face it, US economy is holding up relatively well. The Aussie economy surprisingly holding up relatively well. Like, like, This is the time. This is the time to do it, right? Because what will happen is at some point we'll have another crisis, like a a COVID or well, who knows what it will be, right? But we, we yeah, will. It won't and be I don't coming Something else, because
1: we won't know what's coming. That's that's almost the point, right? Like, if you plan for it, it wouldn't be a crisis. The point is it turns out like, oh, yeah. oh that thing. Oh, that now thing- we've got to better deal with that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it'll, I mean, I don't know it'll, what it'll be or when it'll be, but it, it'll be something. And you always want to mm. go into – You can't. you can't – Prevent those scenarios, but you can mitigate, you can prepare for them. And we're not. So, where is this like? We've talked to a bit in recent podcasts about anti fragility and all of this kind of stuff. We're sort of like, you know, we're struggling to get things in order under fairly benign and decent conditions. And when the proverbial hits the fan, it's going to force the hands of regulators and major players essentially just like create a bunch of money and that just to solve that particular crisis. But then as we've seen with COVID create even bigger problems down the track. And that it is very, very difficult to fix. Prevention is better than cure, I guess is what I'm saying. And it worries me that we are, we are not making the sound structural long-term steps that we, that we should be.
1: Yes. Um, I, I- <laughs> let me uh let, let me uh, i i uh i don't mind a polarizing tweet you know that about me and I uh, no I, I i don't mind that i uh stage three tax cuts are back on the horizon again and uh-huh. uh are legislators so they will go through unless the government doesn't something about it and so far they seem particularly unprepared to do anything about it and so i tweeted that that effectively they were unfair and unaffordable and you might be surprised to know, Andrew, that there's some people on Twitter who actually would like those tax cuts and don't to me suggest they shouldn't have their money. Um, for <laughs> for I know for for uh, somewhat self interested reasons, a few for ideological reasons around size of government and stuff, and we can have those conversations. But what I in the terms of getting house on order, this is this is. I'm, I'm going to go go there anyway because hey, why not? Um, why not? If, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't realised that I am not uh, your your stereotypical uh, money bags, you know, kind of money, Monopoly character uh, capitalist, then uh, <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the show. Um, I <laughs> providing someone with some providing a high income earner who is probably least needy of a tax cut with a tax cut. And using debt to fund that tax cut when you've already got a billion dollars, a trillion dollars, you say, in debt and a structural budget deficit that gets worse every year, you think about it. Uh, that is not the definition of getting your house in order. And yep. I am... I don't want to get... I want to be careful of the politics here. <laughs> Frankly, both parties are voting for it, right? So I can I, can, I, can, I can... I can't... Everyone who's got a party affiliation right now is going to be offended by this. I don't, I don't really... I don't care. I do care if you're offended, but I, you know, I don't expect that uh, it's a problem. Um hmm. I, I can't imagine. It is, it is bizarre to me that the parties of Hawke and Keating and the party of Howard and Costello at this point are both saying, no, it's fine. I just, I don't. And, and, and people who would otherwise be considered ideological fellow travelers of those groups, right? I, either side. Mm. You know the libs who put it in place, Labor who voted for it and then promised to keep it. This mm. is not a political thing, right? Because I'm offending everybody, um, yeah. at least all the majors. I, I just, mate, I can't think of a good reason. just can't think of. There's no defensible good reason to fund tax cuts out of debt. There's just not. Like mm. the, people say, well, we should have smaller government. I should have more of my money back. It's like, okay, let's assume that's true. I'm happy. I'm happy to play that game. Let's assume that's true. Let's do that by finding the savings elsewhere, not making public debt worse. Mm-hmm. If you think that you know, a high-income deserve deserves it because they pay more of a tax burden, fine. Let's talk about reducing your tax rate, but let's do it with savings or revenue from elsewhere. Because just because you think you paid too much doesn't mean you whack it on the national credit card. And by the way, I know it's not a government. It's the same as a household. Don't at me because I just have no time for that palaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a bit cranky today. It just—it just made it. It is—it is just mind-boggling that people, for selfish or ideological reasons—and I say selfish advisedly, but not that unfairly—are happy to say, you know what? Who gives a stuff about the country? I would like my money, please, and to hell with the, the consequences. I just think that you know the biggest fiction—one of the biggest fictions in politics, or in, in economics, or in general kind of you know conversation—is the idea that government is them, not us. Mm. No, it's not my debt. It's the government's debt. It's like, well, pal, mm. and you just said beautifully, mate, exactly mm. that of these implications are not going to be implications for the 156, is it, MPs. Mm. If, if there are implications from their activities and we think they're you know, are more likely they're not the more debt we have, the, you know who pays the bill? The 28 million of us. Yeah. In, in, in ways large and small, uh, narrow and broad, we are all going to suffer the consequences. When we say it's their debt or I don't care what they do, I want my money... It it is literally. I, I use the example. I don't mean this to be um, gendered. I don't think it really is in any offensive way. I said it's like saying I deserve that car, so I'm going to put it on my wife's credit card. Mm. Yeah. It's like, well, dude, guess what? You're still the same family who's got to pay the credit card debt off. You don't. You can't pretend it's not your debt, and you're you're not going to be, you know, uh, have to deal with it. Yeah. Put aside. You're not going to have to deal with the consequence of having it paid back. Right. This is not. No one escapes no. the the fiscal settings, the monetary settings that we find ourselves in.
0: I, I agree. I, I would frame it this way. I would say if you were purely self-interested, you should vote against it. We'll be against it. And, uh-huh. and again, we, we, because it feels it's a, it's a shell game, right? It's like, yeah. Hey, I have to pay less tax. That's brilliant. Yeah, but the, you, you will still pay. Right, so there was a couple of interesting bits of data out today. I forget who put this chart together, but it was on the on Australian real wages. So you know that a whole bunch mm. of wage increases went through. There was yeah. all that talk of you know wage spiral, inflation, and rah rah rah. Anyway, that had that had been <clears throat> real wages. So is like, what do I get adjusted for inflation? Been mm. on a very steady increase since well, this chart was two thousand and two through to twenty. But since then it's fallen off a cliff. Not that anyone's yeah. pay has gone, pay packets have gone backwards, right. but because inflation yeah. has been so high and, and any wages that growth that we've had, it had ticked up a little bit at the bottom there, but we're basically back at 2010 levels. Oh, wow. That's I a consequence. That. That's a consequence, yeah. right? Isn't it? It's like, yeah, oh, look, I've, I've, I've got, yeah. I've gotten, I'm paying less tax. Yeah, yeah. But. Th- <laughs> yeah. How- I'm more money. It's like, well, no, but yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so again, I know there'll be, there'll be some people actually know I am. I'm legitimately better off because these are all averages and there'll be all kinds of yes, variations with, within that. But generally speaking, as a, as a nation, yeah, we're we're all we're all earning much less than than we were. You don't even need me to tell this. It's just like the, the, the amount of work that we all have to do just to keep the roof over our heads these days mm-hmm. hasn't hasn't been this hard in a long, long time. Another bit of data that caught my eye um, during the week was from the Economist, and they'd had uh, they had a, an inflation entrenchment ranking, and Aussie, 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 oi, 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 we're we're at the top of the list. So they had oh, up on a scale of zero to one hundred, we were seventy-eight. The next closest was Britain at sixty-eight. Oh. Right? Yeah. And so we were mi- like France is forty-eight. The US is fifty-eight. So, oh. so we are we are miles. In, in in other words, so the US you mentioned at the top there, the inflation in the US seems to have sort of coming back down a little bit. Hopefully, the yeah. expectation yeah. here is from from the economists, where it was like ours is going to be stickier and for longer. For a variety of reasons, mm. but maybe because the RBA didn't act as as swiftly as yeah. as it needed to, uh, and as aggressively as it as it needed to, as it has been long long sort of opined by many my many um, pundits out there. Um, mm. But it, but again, it's it's sort of like the the point I'm I'm trying to make here is that there are there's no free lunch, right? So it's it's not a it's too first level thinking to go less tax for me is good it's like well all of us being equal <laughs> less tax for you is good yes yes yeah yes. but but less tax in an environment where real wages are going backwards and inflation's likely mm-hmm. to be endemic and entrenched for for a long period of time maybe if things get even worse and unemployment goes up or government services suffer or whatever what i mean it's you know multivariate very complex sort of you know connections and stuff here, but the, my my point is, there's no free lunch, right? So, so sometimes it might be better off paying more tax, but getting more value for your money elsewhere, right? So we the classic example, the go to easy example here would be the the um, Scandinavian countries, right? with tax rates are very mm-hmm. very high, but standards of living are very very high as well. So it's 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 you got to look at all sides of the ledger, not not just the one.
1: Yeah, it, ma- it just matters. And the, the the short-term is, I mean, we, we talk about long-term investing all the time. You know, wanting, wanting the tax cut now to hell with the consequences is the equivalent of, you know, selling forward a month's worth of stock and yep. trashing your brand to get this quarter's numbers. So like, yes. yeah, you got the quarter's numbers. Yeah, oh, at, least, at least I got the numbers. See, um, I don't care about the long-term. I'm going to wait for the short-term. At least I got the short-term numbers. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but unless you're out of here, unless you're resigning as CEO, or unless you happen to, you know, die on the right day, yep. you are then stuck with the consequences of these policies, which absolutely will dwarf anything else. Um, people know this, mate, and, and we'll get off the topic in a minute, people know this, but if we had 5% inflation for five years, even ignoring compounding, which you can't, but let's do it for fun, Yep. you would you would be able to buy only 75% of what you can buy today. Yep. So we talk about real value of things and real and nominal, we talk about the language and the words and they're kind of, people know what they mean, but they don't know it's particularly visceral. If you really think about what's driving that, you think about the impact there. Yeah. Of how that comes together, the impact of the, you know, the five percent plus five plus five plus five. If, if we don't, you know, if, if inflation is not fixed one way or the other, I'll, I was going to say we don't fix it. There are different schools thought about who should fix inflation, and how you fix it, right? But so let's let's put that aside and just say, regardless of the public policy position you take, five percent inflation for five years is twenty-five percent less stuff you can buy. Now I don't know how many people with twenty-five percent savings rate. Yeah. so you know what <laughs> there is no you know there is no plan B either. That that is just straight out you're buying less stuff and a 25% increase is probably close enough to a generational I'm talking like not not generations you know 80 years worth of generations, but generations are about every 20 years or so where effectively our mm. living standards will fall you've already talked about real wages go back to 2010 levels that's yeah. already 13 years right a couple more of those we're back to 1993 we're back to oh, 2003 you know mm-hmm. it's not that long until we're 20-30 years worth of living standards just up in smoke because of inflation, that's how insidious and permanent this stuff is. Um, uh, you know, Buffett's called it. I don't remember the exact phrase, but something like the, the greatest capital killer there is. Yeah. You know, because it just eats away, and eats away, and eats away. Not not the returns, not not the. It's not like you get eight percent less inflation, so you get five percent or three percent. You're not you're not losing the value of your return, although you are. You're losing the value of your capital. Yeah. That's where it really hurts, and that's why this is so dramatically important to get right. And the longer we pretend, we can. Get a tax a one-off tax cut of a few dollars. How quick do you? Reckon? I mean, let's let some, someone on two hundred grand is going to get a nine grand tax cut, right? Which is unconscionable in my mind. However, mm. Mm. even allowing for that, that's four and a half percent of their income. That's less than a year's inflation. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where we start, right? This is not nothing. Um, it, it's it's a really really important topic, and I think a long-term perspective, as much as it sucks, as much as you want the money now, and it's so tempting to be like, I don't know what the future holds, it's all too hard at least just give me the money now because at least I know I've got it. It yep. seems so easy and so obvious and such a simple decision. But as you say, that first level thinking, you end, up, you end up
0: much worse off even after that than you were before it if you don't get the settings right. We were on the couch last night and we put through our Woolies order. So we, we often do the home delivery thing. Um, when you say we, you mean you and your wife, not you and I. Uh, yes. Can, yes. Can, can, we, can, we, can we can we just define our terms here when we say we? <laughs> Andrew
1: and clarify. I are not
0: on the couch doing our, doing our, <laughs> <laughs> our monthly Yeah, Okay, good good clarification. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, me and my wife, we're, we're doing doing that last night. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the usual comment. Do we have any of this? Yeah, that. Yeah. No, nah, that's enough. You know, And I remember mm-hmm. we've been doing it forever. And it was always you had to get above, what is it, 100 bucks or whatever to get the free delivery. Yeah. <laughs> You know? And so I sort of said, I oh. don't know, are we over the limit yet? Yeah, and she's gone, sweetheart, we're at like four hundred dollars. Like, oh, what? Man. What have we got in the basket? Nothing. Like nothing. Yeah. like really like we've got two youngish kids, a household of mm-hmm. four. I-, I am promising you, there is no there is no smoked salmon and lobster tails in that basket. Bread, milk, some meat, some just basic kind of things, some, you know, some snacks for the school lunch boxes, that that mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I guess a few staples that we'd gotten low on, you know, flour and that, but nothing. You know, it's just like four hundred dollars. And sometimes I'm a bit oblivious <laughs> to these things. And she's like, yeah, it's been that for a while now. I, I don't I don't wanna know. And and it just sort of yeah. like I think everyone has had that experience, um, r- regardless of your personal situation. Even if it's something that's like, oh, well, it's higher than I expected, oh my gosh, or how do I how do I make ends meet? Whatever, whatever part mm-hmm. of the spectrum you're on, I think all of us notice that, and that's when it gets—that's when it gets real, and that's that's when, yeah, you know, it it hopefully comes home that, that 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 these things don't appear out of nowhere; they are the consequence of past action, and and yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I just don't see that we're doing anything to get out of it. So for the look full circle here, and we, we'll move on. But for the market to be cheering that inflation is down. I'll join them in cheering that. But the, mm. to then go, "Oh, that's great because now we can start putting interest rates down again." I think no, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, 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 let's not. That's a very big jump. Yeah, let's not count our chickens here. And let's be mm. careful what mm. we wish for more more to the point because to my way of thinking, that should only be on the cards when when it is absolutely needed, right? So Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll continue to cover it, but I just don't see anything sort of moving. It's it is it is no one really wants to make the unpopular but necessary decisions, unfortunately. Amen. That is that is that is the very definition of,
1: of modern politics. Mate, Before we move on, I want to just mention one thing. It comes from your inflation entrenchment index, which I hadn't seen, but I like uh, as a concept. And I just wanted to make a, a point for those who have been wondering, because I, you know, I don't know about you, mate, but I get plenty of people who say, why is the RBA putting rates up? This is a global problem. It's oil, it's wheat, it's imported products. You know, was, uh, Australia's not doing it. Uh, We're not causing it. Why should we we smash Australians and put rates up because of some sort of global inflation? Yeah. And the answer is actually in that entrenchment index. Now, Mm. I'm not even sure that they're right, but directionally, they're probably not miles away from wrong. Mm. And the broader point here is that if it was only global, then we wouldn't have a different sense of what inflation might be entrenched here than anyone Mm. else. Mm. And the RBA from the beginning, we've said this before on the podcast, but it's one thing to make the point in the abstract, something to make the point very real, which is U.S. inflation now three point two percent. Our inflation last month five point six percent. Now we did lag on the way up. We'll probably lag on the way down anyway. But if you took a view, or you or you believed, and not not bagging anyone, but if you were one of those people said, well, why should we put rates up? It's a global problem. We can't change it by doing anything about it. Well, guess what? Mm. <laughs> this is this is actually where the rubber hits the road. That the degree to which inflation is entrenched or not comes down to our ability to Stop that inflation that, yes, absolutely came from overseas, largely. And that's where it started. Yeah. But once you let it get in and then you let it take, take hold, i.e. become entrenched, it's a bloody difficult thing to shift. And if it is the case that The Economist is right, uh, that's that's very much a, a very clear example of why we can't just say it's a, it's an over there problem. Yeah. So let's not do anything about it. <laughs> you know the, these things become entrenched. They become. I saw doctors' uh, bulk building for the average bulk bill went up ten percent last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Now I don't know if doctors are profiteering or not. They say it's cost increases. Maybe it's a bit of both. Either way, mm-hmm. that's exactly the idea, right? Doctors. We don't import doctors when we do. We don't import. We don't import. You know, medical services as a as a thing from in, in a cargo ship from somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the mm-hmm. fees that are going up now are not because you know doctors using foreign oil. It, it's it's that cost. Impost that circulates around the economy. That is exactly what the RBA has been. I'll say desperate. They didn't move quickly enough. So I don't think I think that was a mistake, rather than a lack of desperation or lack of lack of keenness. Yeah. But that's why they've talked so much about the domestic sources or domestic um, impacts of inflation, examples of inflation, rather than just relying on the global stuff.
0: And and with Australia, one of the big drivers for that bit of work that was done. With entrenchment was housing because, right. the, it's, again, we've, as we've mentioned, it tends to be different in the US, but most people tend to be on variable here. So interest rate uh, movements flow through m- much quicker yep. uh, here than overseas. And, uh, and when we had the September quarter CPI, we saw rents uh, nationally, I think, were up like seven, eight percent or so. And they, again, never go backwards. And there's still a lot of, you know, Uh, Landlords that are are waiting for their interest rates to go up as they roll off their fixed interest period. So the expectation is is that a big part of the drive is going to be the 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 rise in rents and just general housing related uh, uh, costs as well. So it feels as though it's not it's not an unreasonable supposition that we will see a bit of a bit of inflation stick around for a while. so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what you do. Well, I have, I've got some <laughs> thoughts, but I don't know what <laughs> what, what realistically yeah. is going to be done about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, in the, yeah. In the, and, and short enough to make it work.
0: Motley full Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener.
1: Mate, one of the things that uh, we've heard a lot of is inflation's high because the companies are profiteering. Look at those naughty supermarkets who are making a squillion dollars. Look at those naughty banks who are making a squillion dollars. Commonwealth Bank made $2.5 billion this week. I have uh, long resisted the urge and frankly kind of discouraged the urge of people to equate big numbers with profiteering uh, or that there's there's something horrible about companies trying to maximise profits as long as competition is working. I actually want to make a the opposite point which is Comback made $2.5 billion in the last quarter that's a massive amount of money $10 billion a year on a run rate Mm. Um, no one's crying for them I'm not going to complain on their behalf except to say they're only growing profit at
0: 1% yeah
1: and so when you know our listeners are I'm going to say smarter than the average bear they're also more thoughtful than the average bear because I reckon everyone listening knows or at least understands the idea that a large number is not a super profit necessarily and that a large number is not profiteering necessarily and while you like to whack the banks for closing branch and doing a whole lot of stuff despite all that when your profits are only up one percent uh it kind of anz and ab last week too pretty negative about the future prospects talking about the second half being really tough again i'm not going to say we've seen the peak of anything because that's just stupid i don't do predictions but I wouldn't be at all yeah. surprised if it's uh, you know a, a tougher next few years for the banks and, frankly, potentially even for large corporate Australia.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's not just that it's um, the growth hasn't been strong, but it, you got to put that profit in context with the size of the company itself or, or the equity. You know, Straw man made two and a half billion dollars. I mean, it's an incredible profit, right? Like, just like we're we're doing something really, really right. But when you've got all of that capital tied up, I mean, gosh, what's the the market cap of CBAs 171 billion dollars right like mm, they have mm. i think the equity that the return on equity that they're getting now is is actually come back a long way after the banking royal commission which sort of yeah put into some of the some of the very put a profitable kind of um uh <laughs> activities uh
1: Michael, how, profit, how profitable charging dead people is
0: i know it's amazing gosh aren't they great great actors anyway they um uh <laughs> it, it's not it's not it's not Look, I am the first person to put the boot in the bank, as you know, right? But it's not yes, super yeah. profits. Uh, I think that's that's where you've got to be careful here. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I thought the commentary was all very interesting. It seemed to be, and again, you can't. I am sorry to bring it back here, but you just can't talk about the banks without talking about property. It was like, I think in the case yeah. of CBA, it's like seventy eight percent of its lending, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are they are all um, uh, institutions that have that have morphed into basically just funding all of our, our houses um mm-hmm. uh just you draw draw the pie chart right it's just it's just it's that and then there's a tiny little bit of other other things <laughs> yeah and exactly. and and they all said that at the start of the year the the competition was so intense that they were all basically writing unprofitable loans and in, in fact they were lending mm-hmm. money at a lower rate of interest than they were their cost of of capital and that's just not sustainable right so they all sort of pulled back um a little bit um but it's not. It's not like these are highly profitable loans, and it's not as you, you will get to a situation when you have all of the major players, and it's pulled back a bit now, as I said. But when everyone's in an unprofitable scenario, there you don't need mm. the RBA to do anything, and they'll have to put rates up at some point. I mean, he's going to blink first. Someone's going to do right, it, right? right because right. I just like, oh, we're unviable uh, eventually. So. So I thought I thought that was particularly interesting, and I'm not trying to wish ill on on anyone with with a mortgage, but I actually want the banks to have a degree of strength and balance sheet sheet capacity, because I mean, again, we don't know this in Australia because we just haven't had a proper recession since 1993. So we just for us, like, what's that? We don't do recessions here. Well, actually. We will again, and they do happen. And when that happens, you do want your banking sector to be very strong. So there's a fine line between absolutely gouging the public and ripping everyone off and making super profits. But also if you're, if, if, if you're um, not strong enough, when the time comes, that'll create problems as well. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I still scratch my head when I look at a lot of these things. CBA is still on a forward PE of something like eighteen times or something. Um, that is, which um, is a lot. Yeah, for for a, a company that's it's, it's not it's not growing yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah,
1: not only like that, mate, but it's also massively more than its competitors. Yeah. I, and here's the thing. I Let's take an investment lesson out of this. For me, I could be entirely wrong about this, um, the implications or the conclusions, but I will, draw a, I will draw a line because I think it's important for listeners to think about. Commonwealth Bank is more expensive than the others because it's considered to be the highest quality bank. Why is it considered to be the highest quality bank? Well, you can't ever really know for sure because everyone's got their own views on it, but A, it becomes a bit self-reinforcing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit like blue chip. Right? Everyone says it is, so it is. Um... At some point if no one believes it is, then maybe it's not anymore. And what does that do to the price? That that's its own question. But also it's the highest quality bank because it's had the highest profit growth, because it's had the biggest mortgage book. Mm. Now, let's let's assume that residential mortgages don't drive bank profits in the next 10 years the way they have in the last 35. Mm. And then you ask yourself in 10 years' time, which bank's going to be considered which bank? Which bank's going to be considered the most the highest quality bank, yeah. And I want just our listeners to be careful; they don't miscorrelate. It's not where they really were, but I made it one um, quality in any of its forms with circumstances. Yeah, it, yeah it, CBA might be the bank most leveraged to win when mortgages growth is big. That's okay. That's the thing. It doesn't make it quality. It makes it cyclical and exposed in a certain way to certain circumstances. Yeah, that's very different to saying it is the highest quality bank, which is, I- i.e., it has some things inherently that make it better than the others.
0: Yes. Yes. Yep. I mean, it's just mm, as I've said before. When you when you look at the balance sheet of the banks, it doesn't take a huge fall in um, in defaults. <laughs> oh, sorry, an increase in defaults. Um, or the profitability of those things for, for 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 these entities to look very different it's not because of anything shady it's that, that banking is inherently a leveraged operation i mean it it it's a it's it's an unavoidable phenomena or feature of Fractional reserve lending: we take in this much money and we lend out a lot more. We literally create yep. deposits out of. Th- and again, I'm sounding like I don't want it to sound like oh, it's a conspiracy theory. No, it's just it's just how modern banking kind of works. Yeah, it is what it, it is. Was, yeah. So yep. I want to be yep. careful here because some people go too far with this thought, but mm-hmm. but it is right to sort of say that when your loan, your liability, is the bank's asset. That's their assets. They've just basically got a whole bunch of IOUs from ordinary Australians. <laughs> Who they said oh, we'll give you some money, and when I say give you, we'll just create the money out of thin air for you. We'll give it to you, um, and then you'll give that to the person you bought your house off. but that's a deposit um, that's somewhere. In return, we get a pinky promise from you <laughs> that you will pay us back over twenty to thirty years with a bit mm-hmm. of interest. That's the asset, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's a it's it's a ethereal. It's a it's a promise, and I want I don't want to undermine it because. People will do, for very good legal reasons and self-interested reasons, people will do whatever they possibly can to make sure they come good on that promise. So it's not as if the bank's being had here and giving money away in in, in a silly fashion, or maybe not, I don't know, depends on your point of view. But but um, that those promises might not be able to be met, or at least on the margin, which is the important thing here. And so again, I'm not I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom and chicken little. It's just a it's just a consequence of any investment, yeah. whether it's a bank or whether it's a, a supermarket or whether it's an industrial chemical producer, is that you always go into an investment saying, well, here's what I think best case scenario kind of is. Here's my uh, my baseline sort of assumptions. But I might be wrong. Every now and again, economies go into recessions, every now and again companies have stumbles, there are industry characteristics. You just, you know, things. You, you need to consider the downside. Charlie Munger again, you know, you need to understand the bear case better than the bears. And so it's not, a, I am not trying to put it out there to say, this is what I think is going to happen. That's very easy for you to think that that's, that's my standpoint. But my, my, my real view here is, is that it could happen. And it's not like a one in a million year type event. It's like, no, these regularly happen mm. within normal modern economies and and particularly within financial institutions. And mm. if that was to happen things can turn around very quickly. Now, fortunately, APRA did do some stress testing very recently and they forecast some pretty nasty things, big fall in property and, you know, rise in unemployment. And the banks look as though they will would, would would stay standing after that, which is really encouraging. And again, back to my earlier point, I was like, you know, you, you don't want the banks to be too marginal. You want them to have a little bit of strength here. So so I, I don't think it would be the end of the world my point is if I'm buying a business at a reasonable growth multiple in a world where interest rates are rather elevated, that has no allowance to my way of thinking at least of a bit of a stumble. Let's not call it a collapse, because I don't think it would be, but a but a but a stumble, a, a patch of a stumble, a, yeah, some 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 rough sailing, you know, some rough seas <laughs> for a little bit. It just feels as though it's a very asymmetric bet, but in the wrong direction. It's like heads, <laughs> I get I get my grossed up yield of six percent, maybe one two percent growth. You know, it's like you know, high quality blue chip company over the next ten years, maybe I get a upper single digit type total annual return, which is which is okay, right? But if but if it doesn't, my downside could literally I could have thirty percent of my capital wiped out in a month, and that yeah. that is just not the. I want the kind of bet where if I'm wrong, it's just like oh, okay, didn't work out well, but maybe there's there's a little bit of downside. <laughs> if it goes right, wow, yeah. this thing's got going to the moon. That's what you want, and that to me is what makes at this point in time in the cycle things will change. I I just can't wrap my head around why anyone would be would be buying a bank at. at 18 times earnings <laughs> Completely agree. not me
1: completely agree mate um i have i have some breaking news for you
0: oh yeah
1: uh you and i haven't discussed this i got an email uh and i hope you, you I, well i know you're sitting down i can see you i'm glad you're sitting down i hope our listeners are sitting down um headline was new research reveals tesla is one of the most talked about stocks on social media <laughs> <laughs> you don't say! Wow, I kid you not, mate. Someone wow. actually bothered to do the research and then write a headline to tell us that actually it turns out people on Twitter kind of like Tesla. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, also a lot of people on Twitter kind of hate Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Tesla, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, remarkable, hey! Staggering. I, I, you could, I, I me down with a feather. I, I yeah. someone actually paid for that research to be done. Someone else is trying to peddle that research, get people to write about it. Um, you know, breaking sky is blue, uh, sun is yellowy orange, and that water is wet. Uh, but I, I, I know, I know it's a big claim, but I, I got some research to back it up. Uh, it turns out the sky is actually blue. I know. I hope you're sitting down.
0: Do, uh, do you know what? I just, though on, I, I would on. if I don't own Telstra, Te- Tesla shares. He's going to say Tesla. Don't own Tesla shares either. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't own Tesla shares, but, and I'm not a particular fan of the, or don't like I I what am I trying to say here I'm not against it I'm not for it yeah, but yeah. I I would still I think even as an objective rational investor I would mm. fold that into my thinking the fact that it is <laughs> what is the je ne sais quoi that Tesla has that that ha- it is something special Apple has the same thing and mm-hmm. that brand value will be something on the balance sheet that tries to record that somewhere. But I, it's it's vastly understated, I would imagine, just for the way that capital oh, yeah. rules work. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's because I agree with you. It's just sort of like there's, there's a lot of hot air in that sort of space. Yeah. But it is a bit of signal. It is a bit of signal. And the fact that Tesla alone has a greater, greater market cap than all the other major car companies combined. I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. it's ridiculous in, in so many different ways. But when you ask most people, and again, not everyone, but most people, what kind of electric car would you prefer? Tesla. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's something. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say here is like, this is one of those things that when you're doing analysis on a company and you're you know, putting a little spreadsheet together, how do you, there's no real field for brand value or, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Absolutely, 100%. But mm-hmm. it's important. It's important. The, the kind of important. person that expects, well, I like the company, but I'm going to wait for Tesla to be on a P of 12 and then I'll buy. It's like, <laughs> well, you're never going to get that. Well, yeah. th- This is the same point I guess you are making with CBA before. It's like, well, really? Is it that different from Westpac? Is it that different mm-hmm. from NAV? And I'm sure some of the, you know, boffins will say, well, you know, actually, it's quite different. Well, not. yes, yes, and and, and no. But yeah. it's got that better reputation. And, and that is something that I guess you need to consider as an investor, even if you yourself think it's all a little bit silly. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful way to
1: put it. We talked a little bit about brands last time and I talked about the power of cults, but that, I mean, that that is, you know, I think the other the thing I'd add to your point, point. Uh, anyway, comments last week, I think it was a week before, uh, is you've still got to, you just got to be a little bit careful to separate the cult from the fad. And if that sounds like the same thing to you, then good, because I think they're different. I want to explain why. Yeah, Fads come and go, right? The cult of Apple is in its fifth decade, I want to say. Must be. Yeah, it must be. Fifth um, decade? Yeah. 1980, something would have started. Oh, my gosh. I think, well, yes. Could be, maybe fourth decade. Either way, pretty close. Yeah, I know. Scary, isn't it? Were um, we old or what? Yeah. Um, not at the end of its fifth decade, but in its fifth decade. Yeah. Um, it's going to be 41 years to be in the fifth decade. Anyway. Yeah, and that is that is absolutely true. There will be other fads that come and go. I would argue buy now, pay later, even if the feature remains, the buy now, pay later company, I think will be, in hindsight, a fad. Mm. And so, by the way, plenty of people on social media would have been talking about buy now, pay later, 12, 18 months ago, two years ago. Um, so just, I, I think you're, you're, you're 100% right, mate, about Apple, about Tesla, about a whole lot of others. Um, I throw, frankly, Coca-Cola in there. Um, the fact that people pay yeah. know, meaningfully more for Coke versus Pepsi—it's not exactly, a, you know, a luxury brand in the same way, but proportionally, yep. you know, Coke is probably more expensive uh, compared to Pepsi than Apple is compared to Samsung. Yeah, yeah now, yeah. now, very, very different dollar amounts, but you know that idea of of the value of a brand is super valuable. Just be obviously, just just be careful when you—they're not you. and this is when you think about this, just to separate out what's truly a. I'll say cult because I, I, I kind of I use the word slightly, slightly advisedly, but realistically, you know, mm. yeah, um, that some cults are dangerous and ugly, and you know, Apple or Tesla or like that. But the the fervent belief, the, um, the 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 zeal with which the zealots will like to, um, you know, share the message, the the fact they brook no objection or criticism, uh, those things are real, and I think. All I would say is look for those things because you're absolutely right, Ram. There is there's massive value in those sort of things. Just make sure you know that this is the cult, not the fad, because yes. one will flame out really quickly, and you'll look back and go, "Oh, I thought that was a," and we all know what you know happens. To some of those others, absolutely enduring, and and the difference is worth many, many, many times your investment if you get that right.
0: Yep, yep. I always think too with it, it's such a wonderful. And special thing if a company can build a decent reputation and brand, yeah. but it takes a long time to build, and it takes an instant to destroy, and so yes. it's it's something that you hope that that the leadership team in these companies understand the true value of of that, and not to think I, I'm sure Tim Cook could make a better margin by cutting some costs on the quality of the phones, for example, yeah. Um, And it probably wouldn't make much of a difference in the near term. Um, Maybe you're not even in the medium term, but eventually it's sort of like, you know, part of the cultish status was because (laughs) of the incredible build quality and all the rest Mm, of it. So mm. after a point, it's sort of like you need a bit of reality to sort of back up some of the positive sentiment there. If you you don't nurture that enough or you are too short term in your focus, it is absolutely uh, disastrous for a business. Whereas anything you can do to strengthen that brand is something that it it is. Mm. We talk a lot about moats and I think any sensible investor focuses a lot on moats, these sustainable competitive advantages. Moat is one. Moat moat is very much, sorry, brand is very much a moat. And it is something that I think should be at the top of mind for the board and management team is like, what is, what is, what have we done this year to strengthen the moat? And if you're not asking that question or making moves towards addressing that, you are failing. I would say as a as a management team. I think that's
1: really really good. Um, and I think, to my mind, mate, if you're going to buy a particular large company where you are, you know, you, some of the business, smaller businesses you invest in are, are trying to dominate new niches or existing niches or find new ways of doing business, and that's a very different style of company. If you're buying a medium to large business that's been around for a while and isn't anywhere near maturity or, or approaching maturity or maturing, um, I would say I'm going to say. To, I, I said the other day that if you ask me for one thing, it'd be a founder owner. For one one criteria, mm. the second would actually be the, the quality of the business, the quality of the brand or reputation or whatever it is that differentiates the, the quality of the moat. To use your phrase, yes, yeah, because that is that is the thing that's going to let a, you know, a, a, a medium or large company continue to earn superior returns. Yep. And it's going to be the difference between a big, ugly uh, pedestrian blue chip and a genuine uh, you know, multi-decade winner. And once you're playing in medium-large cap land, um, you know, one of my favorite lines I know you like is, um, growth covers a multitude of valuation sins. It sure does. Yep. If you don't have that growth... I, w- I would suggest substitute growth with quality or with moat or with competitive advantage because it won't cover as many valuation sins because you haven't got that much upside. The range of outcomes is much smaller. But if you look at a business that continues to grind away over time, you mentioned um, uh, you know, cook, cook could increase margins. One great business, I wish we had more of them in Australia, Costco is one. We, don't have, we have the stores, but not the business obviously listed here. Um, Wall Street analysts for decades have been badgering Costco to increase its margins because they could. They yeah. could do it tomorrow yep. and make more money. And instead, Costco here's here's the beauty of Costco's business model. Effectively, their only margin is the membership fee. They run yep. the stores at break even. Yep. And so, if there are savings to be had on product, for example, or efficiency in the store, or scale head office, mm-hmm. that goes to that goes to the customer. Yep. They could have banked that and banked that and banked that and banked that. But you know what? They don't. They make the Costco experience so compelling for the members mm. that effectively the members are asked, do you think it's worth this much to shop at Costco this year, i.e. Mm. the membership fee? Mm. And that's Costco's margin. Yeah. And so they have taken this super long-term view, which is if we keep delivering our customers value by dropping our prices where we can, delivering better product, better store experience, we don't want to make margin at the store level, which is bizarre if you think about it from any traditional you know investment book. Um, I'll give really quickly, Matt, really quick uh, sideline. Uh, I, I interviewed uh, a bloke who's starting a new whiskey brand in the Southern Highlands, right near me, actually, uh, yep. on The Good Oil, the podcast I do. It um, yep. came out on Wednesday. And that conversation was, we talked a lot about the value of long-term, the value of short-term, the value of brand, the value, there's some really, really good stuff in there. Um, but that idea of building a building a business that is just enduring, because you deliver value back to your customer over and over and over and over again. And then you say to them, if it's worth it, buy the membership. You, don't, you reckon that doesn't, doesn't focus the mind yep. of, of executives. It's not, you know, let's make a couple more cents here, a couple more cents there. Let's dilute the offering. Let's, you know, try and fleece the customers a bit more. They say, no, no, no. We'll, we'll pass the savings on to you. If you think it's worthwhile, you'll hang around. Yes. And that has been an extraordinary model. A model that, if you'd asked the bean counters, would never have got off the ground. Yep. And yet... It's been a remarkable one for, for decades and decades.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just looked it up actually. So Costco net profit margin is about two and a half percent. Yeah. What's Woolies? Five? Uh, yeah, probably five ish. Yeah. It's double, right? Yep. Um and, and Costco can do that
1: tomorrow. They could put their price up two percent across the store. No one would yeah. notice or care in the short term, and they could have a four and a half percent margin tomorrow. Literally, that's yep. all you have to do. The great yep. thing about retail margins is they're so small, increase them's not hard. Yeah. But as soon as you and break that contract with your customer,
0: well, yeah, exactly, and 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 yeah. I think it's a, it's about knowing where you are in the spectrum. You know, am I yeah, shopping no, at Woolworths because it's che- the cheapest? No, in fact, by definition, Costco's cheaper, right? Yeah. But it's also yeah. much further away and much more crowd. You know, there's, there is a convenience factor that is that is there. And and mm. the same. I even I, I, this is why I think Aldi is really just such a great company. They they even in their advertising they say we know you're not going to get everything <laughs> from us, and they say yeah. that they actually say yep. yeah we know you're shopping at the other shops so that's cool but come here first and get some of the things because because we're not going to offer all of that other stuff. Yep. And you can imagine that there'd be someone there going, "Well, when we look around the, the landscape, we notice that Coles and Woolies have these in-house bakeries, and they do this and they do that. Maybe we should do that as well." And and, and thankfully, there's someone there goes, "No, nah. P- yeah. people don't shop here for those reasons. They shop here mm-hmm. for the dirt cheap bargain. They don't want four varieties and you know eight brands of peanut butter. They just want the one. They don't. They you know what you're going to get, right? And and they and you know why you go." to Aldi and they understand mm. that very well. And that's and that I think is just a really cl- a really a good sign of, of a good management team. And I think it's something that a lot of I often ask it when we interview CEOs with with straw men, you know, it's just like what is it that 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 you guys are doing that your competitors don't do? Where is it that's your competitive strength? You know, that, that you, that's very rare that I interview any interview anyone that's got a monopoly right? Like there are, there are other people out there offering the same thing. So why am I going to you now? They might give you an answer that's not very satisfying, but it's, it's an answer you want to hear, right? And, and I think for those that don't have a clear understanding of the value of their value proposition and, and how the brand conveys that, I actually think it's a, it's a huge red flag because it, it won't happen immediately, but, but, not recognizing that you'll not nurture it, and not nurturing it, you will. It'll have very real, fundamental impacts at at, a, at an eventual point in time. I think that's right, mate. I think
1: um, really quick tangent. Actually, and we'll, we'll wrap up. But you know what's fascinating about Aldi is Aldi demonstrates really nicely the Aldi experiment, the corporate life cycle of businesses, mm. and it also it also shows the the way businesses grow but also where their growth becomes a potential weakness, a potential weak spot in their armor. Mm. And it's one of those it's one of those things. So so let's go back to Woolies. Woolies, once upon a time, sold stuff in what they call the center of store, right? Packaged groceries on shelves, what they did. And they got to a point where they had X hundred supermarkets across the country and someone said, how can we grow? They said, well, you know what we could do? We could probably make a bit more space here, buy a bigger store, cut back on the number of Peanut butters from ten to eight because it was short the eight, and we might have space for some fruit and vegetables. Mm. So you don't have to go to the greengrocer anymore. Yeah, and the fact okay, I did that. Oh, what else? We, well, we could. I guess we could just install baked bread if we just kind of cut back on this a bit more. Okay, mm. what about? And by the way, these things come at much bigger margins. Let's do meat. Let's do deli. Let's do hot mm. chickens. Let's do. Let's all do it. So they they grew their basket over and over and over again. They chose to become as many things to as many people as they could to maximize growth. Once they tapped out. The growth yeah. in this dry grocery or center of store or packaged grocery, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. I've got a background, grocery background. Um, so they did that, and all of a sudden, that meant they are now vulnerable to someone who says, "I'm going to, I'm going to Woolies you. I'm going to take yeah. the center of the store back." Yeah. And so Woolies has got this business where it's like, "Well, actually, our, our, our current level of sales and profit re- re- require our customers to buy all this stuff." Yeah. So now we're, now we're protecting, we're playing, we're playing defense on this. We're going to try and protect all that whole basket. Yeah. And we're going to try and be full service because we know people want that and we, they're used to it and they'll go if we don't give it to them. And we want the whole range because people are coming to us for range and, and they, we can't afford not to sell fruit and veg because they'll go to the green grocery and our basket size will shrink and our business will suffer. Our is a scale will go into reverse. And Ellie says, well, that's cool for you, but see, so here's the thing. I'm new at this in Australia. Yeah. I don't need to make your sales or your margins. I just need to have a business model where I can cherry pick. I can pick the eyes out of what you do. Yep. And I can take the most profitable bits of it and say, I'm just doing that. Yep. And if that sounds like the online banks, for example, when NAB launched UBank or St. George launched Dragon Direct, mm-hmm. they're trying to disrupt themselves before someone else does it to them because that's exactly what Aldi's doing. They're saying, you got, you guys were great at this. And if you are stuck with that, there'd be no room for us because you'd have cheap groceries and that, well, that's all you do. Yeah. But now we've actually found a way to chip away at what you're doing for exactly the reasons you said, Ram. Yeah. And if you think about that, it helps you think about the life cycle of mature businesses. Yeah. It helps you think about disruption. It helps you think about the Achilles heel of some of these companies. Yep. Um, I was at Blackmore's. I worked there when Swiss, the vitamin brand, came into the country and went nuts. And how did they do it? Simply by making a lower margin than Blackmore's. Yeah. Blackmore's would make X margin, X gross margin, and say, we, we sell at this price, we sell at your bite, just sell that. Here's our margin. Swiss went, well, I'll do it for half that, and so I'll be on shelf for five dollars cheaper than you are. And then Blackmore's has got to say, "Well, if I if I, if I lose share, and I lose sales. Then I lose sales. If I drop my price, I lose sales. I lose profit. Mm. I'm in a no win situation here." And Swiss goes, "While well, you while well, you guys worry about that, what, eat my dust. What you watch me watch me run away from you when I say, I'm happy to take half the margin you are because it's still a truckload of money. I'll yeah. have that. Thanks very much. Yep. That disruption is massive, and I think." Often, the potential disruptors don't win because the big guys just are bigger and badder and uglier and put them out of business. Yeah. But every now and again, someone slips under the under the guard. Think about Amazon and Walmart. Walmart should have killed Amazon five times over. Blockbuster yeah. should have killed Netflix. But they didn't want to because their existing business was way too profitable, way too successful. And that gap is is really problematic if you're uh, if you're an existing business trying to protect your own rather than continuing to
0: grow. I'm trying to... It's been a while since I looked at Blackmores they're still listed right? No. No, okay. We were okay. Bought out.
1: Oh. They were bought out about
0: 6 months ago. Oh, you're right, okay. Yeah, Maybe nine okay. Months. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You, you, you fill me in here. Um I've got a I've got a recollection that what Blackmores did at least partly in response was I think clever which was Let's lean into it. Okay, we're not going to beat you on price. Mm-hmm. We are going to beat you on quality. Yep. And so the 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 positioning now whether it's true I don't I don't know I don't I don't know the the, the vitamin scene but it it, mm-hmm. it 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 they then they bought a premium brand didn't they where it was sort yes. of like. Here's a bottle of vitamin C, here's another bottle of vitamin C, one's five times more expensive. Yes, but it's the good stuff, right? Now, <laughs> put all your medical opinions aside, the the, the the fact the fact of the matter is, is just like, I think that was a smart way to do it because it is a race to the bottom. And for one, it doesn't matter because I'm coming up from, from zero and you're starting up at a hundred. So, you know, it, it's gonna be far worse. Had they decided to purely compete just on price But they didn't. They said, no, 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 we're more expensive, but we're more expensive for a reason. And Mm -hmm. I I think I've mentioned it before on the pod, but someone years ago mentioned it to me and it's always stuck with me, which is when it comes to anything retail, you either want to be at an extreme end of the spectrum. You want to be super premium, super high price, super super high margin, or you want to be cheap and nasty. There's either, there, there are people who are general I'm generalizing massively here, but there's people who are either quality focused and there are people who are price focused. You don't want to be in between where it's sort of like, there's always going to be something that's better quality or cheaper because there you just, you're kind of trying to be the everything to everyone and it, it doesn't work. So I think when you get to a scenario like that, it's fine. If you want to be the cheapest on, on, on the shelf, then that's, that's for optimize for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but think very carefully about it and i think in blo- you can fill me in here on on how it went but i believe that the higher quality branded or positioned product actually did pretty well in in, in the wider business there for a while but that that was the right move It was like okay we're not we're, just, we're not going to go there we're not going to we're not going to go head to head with you on that cuz we're going to we're, we're we're not going to do well out of it is that a fair comment do you think or is is my yeah. what was the brand no you know called? that, mate you know that. um uh, bio-ceuticals. That's the one. Biosuiticals. Yes. Biosuiticals. Yes. Which was like uh, almost the, medical grade was the, yes. the term that was right. used, you know. And it's, I think it's, it's brilliant. Made- you see the same with honey, yeah. right? Like, like yes. it, it's like get like much, much cheaper honey versus sugar and water mixed together. No, this is straight from the hive with chunks mm-hmm. of honeycomb in it, you know. Charge a lot mm-hmm. more for it. Anyway, sorry. Go on.
1: 100%. No, you're dead right. And in fact, it's even more simple than that. Look at the Qantas Jetstar thing. Yes. Q- Qantas could be everything to everybody and say, well, actually, we'll play at both ends. We yes. will have an airline that is no frills, cheap, cheerful. You're giving up a lot, you're getting a good price. Or you want to fly the Spirit of Australia. Now, this was before they trashed the brand over the last 24 months. But, oh dear, uh, you know, yeah. Spirit of Australia, premium brand, premium experience, lounges, the whole box and dice. And actually, they end up outflanking Virgin because Virgin was then no longer, it couldn't be either the cheapest or the best. Because they tried to, at one point, they said, well, Qantas was this positioning, so we'll do the other. That was fine. They went slightly more down market from Qantas. They had the whole bottom of the market themselves. This is, by the way, also David Jones and Meyer's problem. Yes. If you're Meyer, who are you? You're not the, boot. it's not just price. You're not the boutique, trendy, chic, uh, cool glass shop, you know, in in a Westfield. And you're not Big W. Mm -hmm. So what are you? Mm. And, and you're absolutely right, mate. It's, it's not it's not just single price point, single category. There are subcategories of some of this stuff, but you're absolutely yep. right. The two growth areas in supermarkets are premium products or home brands, yep. own labels. So the Woolworths brand, the Coles brands are growing like gangbusters. So are the $15 tub of ice cream, yep. the $7 tub, the $6 tub that's stuck in between, streets or whatever else it is. They're probably fine at the actual market share, so I should be careful about using individual categories. But these guys yep. are struggling to find their place. Go to Bread's. The you know the the, the sourdough type breads the abbotts and uh, what's the other one called? Can't remember the name of it now. Mm. Um, you know seven eight dollar loaves in Woolies or Coles, yeah. and you can get the one dollar $1.50 private label. Yeah, great, both fine. The stuff yep. in the middle, uh, yep. as you as you rightly point out, mate, there's no reason to buy that because you're either looking for cheap. Now it's not, again, it's not it's not hundred or zero. There are places yes. who buy the stuff in the middle, but sure. the growth is coming at the top and bottom ends. Because people are choosing those, and by the way, companies are making them deliberately, as are the supermarkets, mm-hmm. deliberately you know, filling those those spaces because they know that's what's going on. Um, affordable luxury is kind of the phrase at the top end these days. I don't yep. say affordable, not much as affordable, but you know, pa- paying fifteen bucks for a tub of ice cream rather than ten or whatever they are. I don't eat a lot of ice cream. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, five dollars more. Okay, it's on one hand it's a lot. On the other hand, well, I want to treat myself. I like my ice cream. I'll pay that five bucks for that thing. I'll buy. I might. I might buy a home brand uh, milk but I'll buy the premium ice cream or, or vice versa yep. um, because that's my thing. But you're right. That, that's the way people are choosing to purchase.
0: Oh, look, I've, 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 I've exactly positioned straw man that way, right? This is my own business. It was, it was, we're, we're very <laughs> aware of, of our station in the wider financial space, which is, Tiny and irrelevant, right? Yeah. And that's fine. And I just don't have the resources, or the, I don't have the capital, I don't have the resources, I don't have the connections to ever make this mm-hmm. more than a, than a boutique little little thing. Um, uh, but that's cool because I'm not in this for the ego. It's just sort of like, well, what can we compete? Well, we, we we can just be for the hardcore private investors. So that's what we're going to do, yes. right? Yeah. You know, we'll never be more than five hundred or so. I imagine maybe a thousand if we get sort of lucky, and that that's. Look, I'd be lying to you. Would it be nice to have 50,000 people? <laughs> yes, yes, it would. Yeah, um, of course. But, yeah. but it's not going to be. And, and my point is it's just recognizing what you're able yeah. to do and what you're not and then leaning into where you're different. So I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you. I mean, we, we it's like it's $1,000 a year for, for membership, right? It's not for everyone. and And that's very deliberate because if I said, all right, we're $15 a year so we can compete with, I don't know, Perla or something like that, which are very different products. That's a bad comparison, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, maybe I'd get more people, but I, but I probably wouldn't be viable and I wouldn't stand out in in any way, shape or form. So it's not, to, I, I really didn't try to make this about me, but, but it is that idea of, I think anyone out there who's listening who has got their own business is, is recognize that, value prop and lean into it don't be afraid even if you're a well like i don't know what what how could you it'd be almost anything you actually actually you see with hairdressers right there's the ten dollar haircut um cheap and nasty you're probably going to get butchered but you know for the married man, they don't care, <laughs> right? They're beyond caring at this point. And that is that is your sweet spot as a barber, right, if you're going to do it. But then there's the others. It's sort of like, no, we're going to give you the, the back rub and the beer and the the hot towel and everything else. And you're going to pay $80 for a haircut. I can tell you right now, mate, I'm never paying $80 for a haircut, but you see those places <laughs> and they're pumping because plenty of people do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just another example. I wouldn't, I didn't care if you're a plumber, you're a sparky, whatever. It's just sort of like, I, I would, I I would be, Oh, you call me up because I'm the cheapest guy around. That's going to fix your toilet. Or you call me because I am going to do it really well. And, and, and then you focus on that. And it is something that, that I think is all business people learn after a time is that the the second that you try to become everything to everyone, it leads to it leads to to trouble. I'll give you one quick example before we tie it up. Is is um the 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 one that I tend to self flagellate myself on is catapult right? So these 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 mm. guys do sports analytics tracking. They had a brilliant product, really great, just growing like the clappers, and they just branched out into everything. One of them being what um. Uh, what they called the prosumer. So they went down the value stack and they started competing in areas where the Fitbits and the Apple Watches of the world are sort of there. And I was like, what are you doing? That's not who you are. So prosumer being the professional consumer, right? That next level down from the pro
1: sports. Not not the absolute nuffy, but the black girl who takes fitness... A bit seriously, weekend. They've got a day about, job, but not. They've got a day job. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, I train three yeah. nights a week, and I'm very serious right, about the league right. that I'm in and stuff. But I've, you know, I, I'm not supporting myself through. I'm not a professional sports person. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's fine, but it's just like that, that, that was a really, just the one that came to mind. There's a million of them. You see them on listed companies who should know better. It's like, oh, we're going to do this now too. Are we going to do this. And they're like, no, why, why on God's green earth would you bother even contemplating going in, into this space? Um, yeah. and yet, and yet it is, it is understandable, I think, because you, you want to satisfy as many potential customers as you can. And you know, like, oh, we could be doing this or we could also be doing that. You, you lose focus and you, you generally go down in terms of a quality mm-hmm. score. And it just, it, it the the type of, the, the, the company that um, almost religiously avoids the, the growth of the empire problem, which is yes. I just want to be yes. the CEO and board of a bigger company, not a better company. Yep. You know, and it's just, it it happens all the time. And it's really just a question of, again, coming back to understanding what do we do better than everyone else? That's what we're going to do. I'll give you, actually, sorry, mate, I'm going on and on here. (laughs) It's coming to mind. We spoke to Tech recently. These guys make body armor for police and soldiers and stuff. They also do some um, drones and stuff for the Australian military. So you can imagine with what's going on in the world, they're enjoying a bit of um, attention (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) But when Scott Basham took over a, a little while ago, it, this is a company that it always, I mean, providing military gear is a tough job, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, it's it just, yeah. lo- you're dealing with government agencies, there's long sales cycles. It's just, it's just very, very difficult. And you basically just got rid of everything. So we do, this is the one area we do really well. And that's what we're going to do. And we spoke to him recently. It's like, well, what else could you be doing? It's like, well, just this. This is what we're doing. And we've got, <laughs> we've got enough runway that like if in 10 years time we've, we've matured and we've captured all the reasonable market share we can. Okay, now it's time to start planning for it. But until then, mm. why would you? And I just, I, that, that, that was, I'm not trying to sell it, um, but that was one thing that stood out to me as sort of like that sign of focus is rare. Um, and it's, it's, it's something to look out for. Yeah, nicely put, mate. Nicely put. I think um,
1: I'm going to give one last plug to the, to the podcast for the good oil that we did on Wednesday because that's exactly so. Mark Coburn is the guest. Coburn's whiskey. There's not. There is no actual Coburn's whiskey yet because when you make whiskey, you got you got to wait five, seven years before you release it. So there is whiskey. It's in barrels in a bond store. It's not actually on shelves yet because uh, it's a brutal business, right? It's about capital intensive. Anyway. He talks about yeah. a lot of this stuff about the value of the brand, about the the fact it's that everything. people kind of want to know the provenance of, of what they're doing. He's going for the luxury market. He's saying, "What premium? Not premium. We're luxury. Yeah. And here's here's what we do. Here's why we're doing it. And here's yeah. what we're going to offer." The he's, out- not gonna, he's not he's not going to
0: compete against Johnny Walker Red or whatever the, right. the standard exactly. bottle is. Yeah. No way. Black Douglas. Yes.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what if, what if they're like Hundred Pipers? That was the that was a big selling Scotch when I was working in grog shops at uni. That's ah uh, anyway. yes yes. Anyway, so check out check out the uh, check out the podcast. It's a fascinating conversation. Put some of this stuff to, to in practice. I'm not saying Coburns is perfect, by the way, or necessarily even the best example of it. But um, some of these issues are just resonating massively, mate. Because I only recorded the podcast a few days ago, so um, yeah. it's it's just fresh in my mind. It's a really interesting worked example of a business trying to maybe maybe he fails, maybe he crashes and burns, maybe it works, maybe somewhere in between. Uh, but but just the the idea that you're talking about is a lot of what's coming through and a lot of how. Good business, and that's the other thing. You talk about the, the the kind of you know the 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 growth thing, uh, growth across. What else can we do? Oh, I guess we can do more of this stuff. We can become a bit more mainstream. We can be more of this. The, mm. the 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 appeal of more volume is always there. Yes. Uh, but but reducing the value of your business or your brand. The exclusivity, the whatever it is, or conversely, try and take a mass market brand up market. Good luck with that, right? Yeah. Try try charging. You know, you could, you launch Black Douglas Gold, or you know Black Douglas Premium. Uh, speaking of Scotch, uh, again, I shouldn't they still around? Um, mm. You know, maybe maybe that's your thing, and uh, you know maybe you make something out of it. But very very hard to take those brands in enough directions without really diluting what you started with, and. It's the old thing about you can't have one foot in the boat, and one foot in the wharf. You know, yeah. Uh, you need to be all in one way or the other, or you're falling the
0: drink. Yep, yep. Oh, have man. we done that to death? I, I we, we have. But I, I'm just, I mean, even to myself, I'm thinking I, I need to revisit some things because it is. The more I sort of say it out loud, the more I, I, I recognize yeah. the the. It's it's hard to overstate the importance of this stuff because when I mm-hmm. when I look at a lot of the the history of companies that haven't worked out well for me, it's usually a case of them. <laughs> the phrase is growing yourself broke. You've got yeah, you've got all these so- annoying shareholders on the side saying, "We want growth, we want growth, <laughs> we want growth." Oh, okay, God, how are we going to get growth? It's like, well, we could just keep mm-hmm. doing this here. Yeah, but it's not enough growth. We need more growth. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's buy this company over here. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. You know, just. Yeah. In- almost never (laughs) works Mm -hmm. out well and and 100% true. um yeah i i I need to i need to sort of tattoo it on my forehead or something because i probably avoid some some mistakes before they before they get to to be mistakes if i can Mm -hmm. see a company that's branching out into every single direction that is probably (laughs) something i don't want to be on the ride for I think that's a perfect way to put it. Um,
1: one last one from me, good to great. You talked about knowing the thing they do and just doing that thing they do regularly and a lot and over and over again. Um, that's the hedgehog concept that really underpins good to great, which is a book I've banged on about it more than enough times and yet not enough because uh, it's a fantastic read if you haven't yet read it, do it. Uh, but it talks exactly about that business know what they do and they stick to that one thing and they do that one thing really, really, really well. It's exactly what Ramster said. Uh, it, it's not just us making stuff up. It's uh, it's actually doing the doing the work as well. Well, mate, I reckon that's we've gone well truly over time. As uh, as always, can you if you go over time always, does that mean we no longer go over time because it's now the new time? Can I it's claim? It's going to be that?
0: four hours before we know it.
1: <laughs> four hours of ranty, ranty goodness, mate. Uh, will you come back on Sunday? Yeah, you know it. All right, I will look forward to it. As will our listeners. It will be our patented. Sunday morning special mailbag edition, so make sure you hang around for that. Released at 8am Australian Eastern Daylight Time because that's what time Ram gets back from his mountain climbing. Until (laughs) Sunday, full on. Cheers.
0: The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.